Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Vibe. I'm your host, Robin Openshaw. And today I have a very interesting guest that I think you're going to enjoy. It's my friend, Cassie Bjork. She is a globally recognized industry leader in weight loss. She's a speaker. She's the number one international best-selling author of Why Am I Still Fat? The Hidden Keys to Unlocking That Stubborn Weight Loss. And really the reason I want to have Cassie on the show is that I tripped on her personal Facebook page, I, I think because we're friends. And I, I read this astonishing story that she wrote up about how she let go of her dietitian license. She was targeted by the licensing organizing board. And I want to hear that story. I wanted to learn more about it. And the reason is that I feel like the American Dietetics Association is corrupt. And I really want to help you know what is behind some of these industries that are the ones who are putting all this information out there about nutrition that might be flawed. It might be problematic. Before I welcome Cassie to the show, I want you to know she's the creator of the Rule Breakers weight loss coaching program. And I love that because I like to break rules that are meant to be broken. The rules that have been around for like 170 years, like the whole idea that we should count calories. And and so she has a proprietary methodology to lose weight and keep it off for good. For over 10 years, she's helped tens of thousands of people achieve the bodies they want, not by starving or skimping, but by feeding themselves foods that fuel effective and sustainable weight loss. So she was a registered dietitian but not the stereotypical type. And so I want to uh, hear her story. Welcome to the show, Cassie Bjork. Thanks, Robin. I'm really excited to be here and dive into a lot of the shadiness. And I'm really glad to hear that you're a fellow rule breaker as well. I, I know that and love that about you. So I think we're just going to really, really connect and just share a lot of eye-opening stuff here today. Yeah. And we're, we're going to talk openly. Now you don't have a, now you don't have a license to lose. You gave it up. You gave it up voluntarily, which I think was brave and courageous. And I'm glad that you're not being quiet about it and you're speaking out about it because it's not just the dietitians who are influenced. It's all the people who are following their counsel. And it's not that dietitians are bad people. It's just that you're receiving a really specific type of education. So tell us the story. Like, don't you, don't you have to get an advanced degree to be a dietitian? Tell us the story of how you went from investing so much of your life in this specific education to ditching it. Mm, yeah. Oh, it's, I, I'm glad that you pointed that out too, because I remember in school, only half of my graduating class that went to school for nutrition and dietetics even got the internship, which you need to go through in order to take the exam. And then even then a smaller percentage of people pass the exam to become a dietitian. So it was a lot of work. So I just, you know, I just want to clarify, I was so proud to get my license and to become a dietitian. I worked so hard for it. I strived for it. And the day I got it, I was so proud of myself. And um, because I really valued those credentials, I worked really hard to get them and I worked really hard to keep them as well. So while I feel really good about how things are right now, and I'm going to dive into just this whole thing and how this came about, um, it's really been a heartbreaking process for me in a lot of ways. Um, so I guess I'll just kind of back up a little bit. I became a dietitian because I had a passion for nutrition and fitness and helping people. And um, I knew that food was one of the answers to living life to our fullest potential. So that was my focus. That was the bullseye. I wanted to learn the rules of food and how it worked so that I could help other people 
follow them too. But almost right away, and you know, I was in my early 20s, Robin, so maybe I didn't know how to listen to my intuition as much as I do now, but I did everything they told me to do in school and everything that I was learning in the textbooks. I was eating low fat, low calorie. I ate those hundred calorie pack snack pack. Like they were going out of style. You know, I was working out like a, like a fiend. I was pounding out miles on the treadmill, doing cardio three times a day. And during this time I gained 20 pounds and it wasn't muscle. So that was really confusing for me. Um, So I doubled down on all these dieting rules, working out harder, eating less, and it it didn't work. I got hungrier, moodier, my waistline kept expanding. Um, So maybe that should have been my first sign when I was in school to be a dietitian, but I'm stubborn and I just put the shame and the blame on myself, feeling like something was wrong with me, not the process that I was following. And it really wasn't until I remember the day I got a call from my mother that my father had to be rushed into immediate major heart surgery after collapsing while running a race in my hometown. And he was the picture of health. He was physically active. He ate low fat, you know, all the things you should imagine, you know, you should do to stay healthy. He was following these same like quote unquote rules or dieting, you know, protocols that I was and his heart failed him. And I w- it was like my last year at dietitian school and I was in his room at the hospital and the hospital dietitian came in and she told him to keep doing the things he'd been doing, you know, avoid fat, eat low calorie, stay active. And I was like, but he's already doing those things. And she's like, good, you know, keep doing them. <laughs> I was like, okay, like that's what landed him on your operating table. And I think for me, Robin, this was like the moment, like the huge wake up call, the beginning of my journey of having to figure things out on my own because what I was taught in school wasn't working for me, wasn't working for my dad. And it was really in that moment, like in the hospital, looking at my dad on this operating table, like that was when I saw the life and the death possibility of following all of these outdated protocols that they're teaching in dietitian school still to this day. So let's break, let's break it down a little bit. What is the problem with evaluating our food based on, for instance, let's start with calories. That's a really good place to start. Well, I think the problem with calories, I mean, they're still teaching to this day in school that you need to figure out the exact equation for how many calories you're taking in and burning and, you know, just eat less and burn more off. And the thing is, your your metabolism and, and your body, there's so much more to it than just calories. Like you have to take into account your hormones, your thyroid function, your stress, your sleep, like your activity, like there's all these other factors. So we can't, it doesn't really make sense to just boil it down to like a single, you know, unit of energy. And when you're on a quest to boost metabolism and lose weight and keep it off forever, which I've helped thousands of women do over the past 10 years. So I've got a lot of experience with this and realizing that counting calories is actually like the last thing you want to be doing because they're energy and we need to fuel our metabolism. It's kind of like if you had a fire and you wanted to keep it burning, you'd throw wood on it. If you took away the wood, the fire would eventually stop burning and your metabolism works in that same way. You need to fuel it to keep it burning strong. That's why when people follow these calorie counting diets, you know, we've all, we've all done it and we feel tired and irritable and hungry and we have outrageous cravings and headaches and low energy levels. So it's like, you can lose weight 
But then what usually happens is the weight comes back on anyway once you start eating again because your body doesn't trust you and it doesn't know when you're going to starve it again. So it's like this you know, lose-lose situation. If you eat fewer calories, your body burns fewer calories. So we want to eat more of the right types of calories so that your metabolism can burn. So are there some high calorie foods that are good for us? And are there some low calorie foods that are bad for us? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of butter. <laughs> I'm like kind of known as like the dietitian who promotes butter and coconut oil and avocados, all of those healthy fats. I remember when I was in school to be a dietitian, there was a test question and it asked, you know, what was the best food to eat to lose weight? And avocado was on there, but so was 100 calorie pack of Ritz crackers. And I knew, like I knew in my heart of hearts that an avocado, a real food is going to be better for you than this processed little package of crackers. But that was actually the answer on the test was the crackers because it was lower in calories. Wow. That's just, that's a bad education right there. And, and what's Mm -hmm. the game? Like let's back up and we're, we're a food manufacturer. What's the game that they're playing here with the hundred calorie Ritz cracker snack packs? You know, I've, I've kind of found that anytime there's something that you're questioning, anytime there's something that just seems shady, um, especially when it has to do with business and especially when it has to do with bureaucracy, the answer usually lies with follow the money. And I remember the first time I went to like this dietitian conference, it was the food and the nutrition conference and expo, like the annual um, conference for all these healthcare professionals. I was shocked to see an entire tent set up by Pepsi and they were sponsoring a calorie counting campaign. And I couldn't make it, it couldn't make sense as to why Pepsi was sponsoring this event. And then I saw Splenda and then I saw McDonald's was giving out little fruit and yogurt parfaits and Splenda had the little packets for the coffees. And I was like, what? Like, this doesn't make sense. And, but you know what? Their presence played more of a role than I even realized. This was like a huge aha moment for me because this relationship between big food and certifying boards is really frightening. I I agree. And I've, I've seen an article by a dietitian who went to the ADA conference and she cataloged all of the sponsors there. And there, these people are actually paying for the conference. And so what does that do to a dietitian who wants to speak up? Like what, what is your governing board and these, these agencies, are they going to feel hamstrung by the fact they can't speak up against these industries uh, who are counter to public health interests? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and even to this day, Robin, I mean, the, the, um, the, the nutrition, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, I mean, they are sponsored buy a lot of these big food companies and they're taking money from them. And it's like, so no wonder our continuing education credits and things are just skewed and it's flawed information. I mean, even to this day, Splenda, the Dairy Council, these sugar producers, milk company, all these places are uh, sponsoring, you know, where dietitians get their education. And I think what happens then, and for me, you know, I've never been one to like just bash, you know, the dietitian industry. I've just been open about this is what happened in my education. And this was really confusing for me. And this is why, you know, in our programs, we don't focus on low fat or low calories because we know that there's so much more that goes into it. So when I started to really dive into the research, like back when I was like gaining all that weight, my dad had to have that emergency heart surgery. I started to really question all of these rules that I was taught. And I set out to read like all the nutrition research I could get my hands on. I was kind of a nerd, a research nerd. And 
I couldn't believe what I discovered. It was like everything I learned in school was backwards. Like the research showed that cholesterol wasn't the villain we were told it was. It was actually an essential nutrient and that high fat diets weren't unhealthy at all. In fact, they actually appeared to be more beneficial than the high carb diets because of how they regulate blood sugar and insulin. And that's when I learned there's so much more that goes into metabolism and weight loss than just calories. We've got to look at hormones and thyroid function and stress and sleep. And all of these things brought up some really big questions for me. Like, like why is the foundation of the government's dietary recommendation uh, food pyramid, the food pyramid, why is it carbs? And why was I seeing, you know, on that dietitian license exam that the 100 calorie pack is preferable to half of an avocado? And why is our nation, you know, consistently getting more overweight and disease ridden if these approaches were supposed to work? So even though I earned my dietitian license and I was proud of it, I had to teach what I knew to be true and right. And that's what I was finding. Fat is important for metabolism and so are calories as long as they're from the right foods and those long-winded hamster wheel workouts, they can actually backfire and cause weight gain. And like every new piece of information that I was learning really bucked the rules that I was taught in dietitian school. So what happened is I started to apply each new piece of information to my own life. And that's when I began to change. My energy levels went up, my cravings disappeared, the pounds came off, and I knew I was onto something. So this research really became the foundation for what you mentioned earlier, our rule breakers weight loss coaching program. So then what happened was over the next you know, eight, nine years, we helped thousands of women and men lose weight and keep it off, not by, you know, calorie counting and eating low fat, but by actually getting to the root of what's really going on and looking at all of these factors outside of just food. And our approach worked. Our clients were shedding weight and gaining energy and healing chronic ailments and tapping into new levels physically, mentally, spiritually. And it only it only worked because I was rejecting these outdated rules of traditional dietitian training. These rules, the very rules that I was obligated to uphold as a licensed dietitian. Yeah, and I think that there, I think there are more dietitians who are starting to self-teach and go outside of the narrow lanes of what they were taught in in you know the actual program um, in the you know four years university setting. Yeah. And there are a lot of them who are discovering these same truths that you are, but there are even more who are, you know, feeding their clients in a hospital setting or a school setting by putting variables into a computer program and having it spit out mm -hmm. a bunch of, you know, hamburger and white flour processed garbage, dairy products, sugar menus these people are um, just sort of following the rules and feeding people a really terrible diet in, in, in school settings and hospital settings in particular. I think it's disturbing what we're feeding kids in school and what we're feeding patients in hospitals. How about you? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's a lot, there's a lot of dietitians that are still doing that. And I do want to say, you know, I'm not saying that all dietitians are bad or wrong. I mean, certainly I think a lot of them are teaching this outdated information that's really making people fatter and sicker. And that's really frustrating to me. Um, and I think what's really interesting and confusing is the fact that things are actually different state to state and they're not uniform across the board. Once I came out with my story, I had dietitians around the nation sharing their experiences. Some had given up their license, just like me. Some had not pursued it because they were aware of all this shadiness. So they just kind of like 
you know, just they, they were in dietitian school and they stopped, they didn't get it. And several actually said that their experience wasn't like mine or that they're, you know, they're teaching the same holistic methods that I'm teaching without being handcuffed. And of course, a lot of other dietitians were messaging me in fear too, that they might face legal action from their governing boards if they continue to teach what they know is true and what works. So I really came to realize, you know, when I came out with all of this, that there's a huge disparity across our nation in regards to what is taught in the classrooms, as well as how the bureaucracy works from state to state. I think it shows a huge gap in how this industry is regulated and how it's so different. And there's not like this one size fits all. And I think that's that's really scary. Yeah. And you're smart that you're doing business online now. And I think you'll have a bigger impact that way than a lot of the dietitians who are working in a hospital or a school or whatever, but you know, you're, you're able to let go of your license because of that, because you are forging your own voice. You've been on a lot of media. You've been on CBS, ABC, CNN, Time, Cosmopolitan, Huffington Post. And so you're doing great work out there and letting go of your dietitian's license and then speaking freely is, uh, I think you have a really bright career in front of you. Tell, tell us a little bit about how you sort of got persecuted and how you, rather than fight anymore, you finally just gave up mm-hmm. your dietitian's license. And what, what, that, what was that was like for you? What were they picking on you about? <laughs> well, they're picking on me because I was talking about a lot of things that didn't have to do with food. And I mean, the sad thing is they really wanted me to just talk about food. And what's also confusing to me is like when I would go to get my continuing education credits, I was... I was looking at a lot of things other than food. I was learning about thyroid. I was learning about supplements. I was learning about hormones. And um, I guess just to back up. So what happened was it was only a few years into my career that um, that's when it happened. The Minnesota Board of Nutrition and Dietetics served me with papers to seize and desist my approach to weight loss. And, um, you know, almost six years later, I finally decided to surrender that license. So what they were really coming after me for, they just didn't like what I was doing. They didn't think I should be talking about thyroid or hormones or supplements or really anything other than low fat, no fat, low calorie food. They wanted me to stick to, you know, the quote unquote rules. And the thing is, I mean, the reason why our approach was working so well and the reason why my business was growing so much is because everything I was teaching was about looking at the big picture, looking at the huge holistic picture and not just looking at food and not just telling people to restrict calories and eat low fat. So really, I mean, I had a choice. I could change how and what I teach or I could relinquish my license. And, you know, like I said, I didn't seek to give up my license that I worked so hard for. And it also wasn't an overnight decision. In a lot of ways, it wasn't even my decision. It was really forced upon me because ultimately they left me with a fork in the road. You know, one side was to limit my capabilities, limit my knowledge, teach what is not aligned and what I don't believe is right or do everything I know is right, actually be able to help more people and not have a license while I'm doing it. And I could have continued this fight, you know, maybe I would have won, but you know, since this very license isn't even aligned with what I stand for, I decided to give it up. And and you made a really good point too, Robin. I mean, the timing of this was really interesting because after this, you know, five and a half year fight, it was almost kismet in a lot of ways because our business had grown to the point where we were really starting to scale even more than we had in the past. And I believed so much in everything that I was teaching that I wrapped all these components that go against what the board was saying I had to teach. I put them all into this massive weight loss 
program called Rule Breakers, like where you know we have this community and we have the expert advice and it's like the sustainable way to lose weight and keep it off. And so we were like growing and growing, growing, growing like gangbusters. And that's when I had to make this decision. And it was kind of just peculiar timing because it was like, yeah, I mean, it just made sense. Like, was I concerned that I'd take a big hit in the business? I mean, of, of course, I was anticipating every potential outcome, but I believe so much in what we teach and how it works that I couldn't start underserving our clients by like changing everything that we teach. So we had this rule breakers program. And the fact that we even called it rule breakers at the time was maybe a happy accident. Uh, we called it that because we're breaking all these dieting rules, um, which, you know, that's why they came after me. So it's interesting how everything that happened really aligns with what I've been teaching and um, just what's been working. And it's scary. I mean, I also want to mention, I mean, I'm not here to be a fear monger by any means, but I'm an educator and I found this whole experience to be super educational, educational. You know, that's why I really want your listeners to be educated on all of this too. I do too. And I'd love to run past you a couple things I've heard um, mm-hmm. out there over the years and just get your reaction to them because they, they stick in my mind just to, to show not only the level of ignorance of the general population about nutrition, because there are some industries that are behind the information that most of us get, but also the level of ignorance sometimes of registered dietitians who are just following the protocols, because I really feel like the food manufacturing industry. And that's actually a bunch of subset industries and you called it big food and and sometimes yeah. it gets called big ag, but right. you know, food manufacturing can really exploit the whole concept of the calorie. They love it. They can make you little 100 100 calorie packages of Ritz crackers. They can they can keep you diverted from the things that matter if they can just slice and dice based on calories. And I actually think I might be, I might take it even a step further than you do. You can, you can comment on this, but I actually feel like getting us to be completely obsessed with macronutrients is also a red herring because, you know, people have been eating like 75% carbohydrates since the dawn of time, but not Ritz crackers, but not bagels. You know, you know, I don't think the story is told in, in, getting people to obsess about grams of proteins, fats, and carbs either. I think it's about the quality and the type versus the actual, you know, like how many grams and, you know, that what the facts on the back of the packaged food. So why don't you talk a little bit about macronutrients? Because I think that's another one that the food industry really loves to grab a hold of and keep us super, super focused on when the story might be told elsewhere, like micronutrients. Totally. Well, I mean, if we ever when we have to think about like, why does this calorie counting myth still persist? If we treat all calories as they're created equal, then it really doesn't matter what we eat, right? I mean, that's how that's how they can accept sponsorship dollars and teach that you can eat anything you want as long as it fits, as long as it comes under this certain caloric limit. You know, that, that, if, if that's the case, you can drink diet Pepsi all day long, right? You know, we're told that soda, we were told it was fine. It's just empty, empty calories. And then, you know, in reality, there's a, there's a lot more to it. I mean, it increases risks of serious health conditions, heart disease, type two diabetes, you know, not to mention tooth decay and all this other stuff. So I think that's the thing is like, if these certifying boards recognize the type of calorie, not just the sheer number mattered, they couldn't possibly say that these hundred calorie snack packs of Ritz crackers or diet soda or regular soda fits into a healthy diet because they'd lose that stream of income. So I think they're calorie blind for a reason because it keeps them in business. And I think that is the thing with 
I mean, anything high, high carb, high fat. I think when we become obsessed with any of these macronutrients, first of all, I mean, we're, 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 we know that weight loss isn't just about food. So you could obsess about your food all day long and get in the perfect amounts, whatever that means of protein, fat and carbs and food definitely matters. Like I, I, I totally believe that food matters. And we look at that in our weight loss program, but we have to be looking at all sorts of other factors, because even if you get the food down, if you're not looking at all the other pieces of your, the puzzle, you know, your, your, your body puzzle, then you can lose weight, but it's not going to stay off. And I think too, I mean, if we even just look at like, a lot, so a lot of us healthcare professionals are really familiar with the iconic, epic, tragic story of how the sugar industry influenced our nation's eating habits and the food pyramid, which we've used, you know, as a basis for healthy, quote unquote, healthy eating for years. Um, and what happened, if, if anyone's not familiar with this, in the 1960s, there was a single study it was anonymously funded by the Sugar Research Foundation, and it proved, quote unquote, proved that fat causes heart disease and that sugar has little to no effect. And this was absolutely bogus, and it was contrary to all other research and all the other studies. But the government used this study as a basis for policy, even though the officials were fully aware that the study was flawed. And I can only wonder what the you know incentive would be here. Um, you know, just to spell it out, I would think there's some sort of financial gain, right? So in 1980, they published the first dietary guidelines that promoted the low-fat, low-cholesterol diet with a recommended increase for eating more carbs. So that's why I like that whole basis So that food pyramid was all carbs. And what happened was millions of people suffered from this diet, which just made them sick because the sugar industry used its money and power to manipulate food science and food policy, and it's just crazy and it's tragic. And scenarios like these are not just from decades ago either. I mean, even as recently as 2015, the New York Times broke the story that Coca-Cola was paying researchers to conduct studies that would downplay the effects of sugary sodas on obesity. It's super sketchy. And I think this is the stuff that like consumers and the public, we're not hearing a lot about because when this happens, they try to really you know, brush by it and cover it up. And they don't want us to know that this is what's happening in big food or in that whole food industry with, with the government and how everything is just so shadily intertwined. It's just it's the fact of the matter. It's scary. Yeah, I'm a lot older than you, but I was there. I was a young adult when the whole low fat decade was going on. And we thought that eating low fat dairy products was like a superfood. We thought... We thought that, um, you know, if it was, you know, these snack wells was a, a lot of women my age will, will recall that brand. And it was all about replacing all the fat with extra sugar. And we thought that was better for us. And we ate those hundred calorie things by the dozens and thought that we were being so smart doing it. And, you know, the Weight Watchers whole thing is exactly what you were talking about before, that calories are the only things that matter. So they just assigned points to it to make it super reductionistic and super easy. But they said, there's no bad foods. Just yeah. you know, eat whatever you want. Just stay within these certain number of points. It's It was really just a calorie thing. Still, still, I don't know how it's changed in recent years. I'm not in the weight loss industry like you are, but hopefully they've started to really encourage people to eat more fiber rich, whole foods, 
you know, that have all these synergistic effects and that are nutrient dense. And I, and I know that that's what you teach too, but let me, let me run a, let me ping you with a couple of things that people have said to me over the years that just completely for me highlight what's wrong with the dietetics industry. So I sat in a talk when my kids were little by a dietitian who said, really the key to health is to just get as many dairy products in your kids as possible. And somebody raised their hand and said, my, my baby doesn't like drinking drinking bottles of milk. And she said, well, just add Nestle quick to it. Mm. Yeah. It's like adding pure, pure sugar to it. <laughs> and you know, the dairy, the dairy myth is, is a huge one because we don't need dairy products. And the problem with drinking, I mean, we think about drinking a lot of milk, milk is for um, babies to grow. Like that's what it's for. And I know a lot of people get really, um, really, really heated when we talk about taking away their milk. So I'm not taking away anybody's milk here, but we've just found that there are a lot of people that are like sensitive to it and it can cause, it can cause um, you to be more insulinogenic, which just means, you know, you store fat easier than when you're not drinking it. And there's a lot of, a lot of issues with um, especially dairy. The quality is different all across the board. So if you're not having like really high quality dairy products, you can be getting a lot of different hormones and things in there that can um, interfere with your own hormonal balance. So it's one of those really, really big myths, I think, that we've been taught for a long time, like, you know, have X amount of glasses of milk per day, and we actually really don't need it. Yeah. And then I remember years ago, a guy talking to me about, hey, what do you do for a living? And I told him that I'm the owner of Green Smoothie Girl. And he said, he said, oh, yeah, we eat really healthy at my house. Like we put low fat milk on our cereal and stuff like that. How do you think the whole dietitian and nutritionist industry needs to change from here going forward? If you could, if you were queen of the world for a day, how would you change things so that what happened to you doesn't happen to others? Hmm, that's such a great question. I think that um, I think it's really scary when these governing agencies across the country are trying to control who can talk about nutrition and what they can say. And I think it's scary because those agency recommendations and regulations are so deeply influenced by the food industry. And then those who are speaking out against this unfair control run the risk of legal action, like I did. And, you know, the truth tellers or the people who are really looking at the research end up getting punished. And then ordinary people end up sicker and fatter than ever before. So I think that there needs to be a a big separation there. Um, I think it's confusing, too, for people just trying to be healthy. They're the ones that suffer the most because they're trying to make sense of all this conflicting information. And, you know, you've got dietitians, all sorts of dietitians. We teach all different things. Some people are teaching low fat. Some are teaching low calorie. Some are teaching low carb. It's just confusing. And we're getting these conflicting facts from the government, from the governing bureaucracies, from practitioners. I think until there's more accuracy and consistency across the board, uh, it's it's really tricky, and and that's why you know I think it's important for everyone to kind of be on the defense. And I don't think it should be like that. Um, I don't think I don't know about licensure. I mean, it's so hard to say because when I got my dietitian license, I was one of those people that was like, yeah, you want to only listen to dietitians, you know, because we're registered and licensed and we have the education. But now being on this side of it, it's like the licensure exists to protect the public, but when it's so highly regulated by the government and then the government is influenced by the big food funding and there's all this shadiness intertwined. Um, I don't think I can really say that I'm someone who's a strong promoter of licensure. Um, so those are kind of my, my thoughts as I'm thinking about the answer to your question, Robin. I think I would, I think I would change all of those things for starters. 
Yeah, it's funny. When I was growing up in the um, 1970s, we were taught a completely different food pyramid. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as I've watched what the government is influenced by and how it changes and why it changes. And when you can actually get somebody in the FDA or the ADA, uh, the different agencies to actually talk about their experience there, usually it's when they've left those posts, you know, know, find out how industry influenced it was. I mean, when I was learning the food pyramid back then, which is a different food pyramid than now, we had to watch this curriculum called Mulligan Stew. And I had to take a test. And and in my test, I had to talk about how four servings of grains had to be at the very bottom of my pyramid. We had more servings of grains than anything else. And I'm actually not um, opposed to grains. I think if they're organic, sprouted, the more alkaline grains are better, the ones that are not being sprayed with Roundup twice, like most wheat products are. But I, I, I'm I, not, I'm more plant-based, more, I lean more towards the vegan side than the paleo side. And I know that you line up on the paleo side and we're all friends because we get people off of processed food together. But you know, what was on the actual chart, the actual foods they showed us were Wonder Bread and crackers. And when they showed us the meat products that I had to eat two of a day, and I had to write that down on my test in second grade, uh, it showed me photos of hot dogs. And so I don't, I don't know that the final authority should be the dietitians and the people with the, the degrees from the credentialed universities. And I would like to see education at the, at the universities change. I hope that it changes. And I hope that people like Cassie speaking up now she has nothing to lose. Um, I hope that it makes a difference. And I, and I don't think it's just the dietitians. I think there's lots and lots and lots of doctors in the, you know, who've even invested more years and tons more money and come out of school with, with tons more debt and they get into practice and they find out they're really unhappy there and that they're having to either tell lies, like Cassie feels like there's a lot of lies out there in the dieting world and they're having to sell something they don't want to sell. It's that much more expensive for them to get out. And so I think we, we've got to listen to those who are willing to leave their their license on the altar to be able to tell the truth. I think it's courageous. I mean, you may say, well, it was taken from me and that may be the case, but I'm sure it was a long, slow grieving process and letting go process. But I really do. Girl, I think you're going to do big things in the world because you lost that license. I really do. Thank you. I think so too. And I even think, you know, one big aspect of my story and one of the reasons they came after me is because my platform and brand is as big as it is. I mean, even, you know, almost six years ago when I first became a target, it's only grown since then. And even in my state, I mean, it's not an extremely big market. And I say this as humbly as possible. I was kind of a, kind of like the whale in the pond or the whale in the 10,000 lakes of Minnesota. Um, so, and I think, I think the thing is, I feel so good about this. Like I fought for so long. And what happened was when I really sat down just like by myself, like in meditation and prayer and just thought like, what, what really feels right to me? Um, what felt right was following my heart and what I know is true and an integrity for me and what I believe and what I stand for. And for me, that license just doesn't align with anything that I'm doing anyway. And now it's like this weight has been lifted that it just, it feels so good. It allows me to put hundred percent of my time, my focus, my energy into, you know, my practice that has proven, proven results instead of fighting the system that does not. And I wish I had like all the answers and the perfect magical phrase to just make everything okay with all of this. But I think that um, 
I mean, like we're like we were saying, I mean, the truth is even in certain states, you know, a licensed dietitian might not be teaching science-based strategies because of all this corruption that, you know, has created our guidelines back in the day. And I think what happens is you just have to kind of be on the lookout and an advocate for yourself and fueling yourself with with knowledge so that when you, if you do hire a coach or work with a dietitian, you know, you you have awareness to know that person is teaching science-based practices and really to like question what you're, what you're hearing. I mean, I even had a doctor, we've had a lot of doctors and dietitians go through our weight loss program, which is also kind of ironic that we have a lot of dietitians that go through it for themselves to lose weight because what they're doing isn't working. Um, and I had this doctor and she said, I believe in everything that you're doing. Obviously it's working for me to lose weight, but I can't teach it to my patients because I'd be at risk of losing my license too. And that's like the saddest thing to me is like, and she knew it was getting results and I'm not, I, I, I wasn't shaming her at all. I mean, I, I get it. It's a huge deal to be going totally against, you know, what, what your industry and what the board of your industry wants you to teach. And I think it's scary. And I think that, I don't know if this is like, you know, I, I know that my story is unique to just me. And I think my situation also demonstrates a significant problem in this industry, in this credentialing process, in the governing boards. I don't, you know, not every dietitian may run into what I ran into, but, you know, mine might be one of those outlier situations, but it also could be the beginning of more of this. And that's really what we don't know. Yeah. And, you know, your story is a perfect example when we leave talking about nutrition and we just talk about life for a second, it's a classic example of how sometimes the bad thing becomes a good thing. And, um, it reminds me how Cassie, the way my whole journey started that led to green smoothie girl online is that 24 years ago, my son was, um, failing. He was failure to thrive. He was below the fifth percentile. He was on antibiotics and and steroids, liquid steroids, and fell below the fifth percentile. He was diagnosed failure to thrive. He was dying. And he was in and out of hospitals and emergency rooms. And I had to question the orthodoxy. And I had to take a good cold hard look at the, the treatments he was being prescribed. And then I had to take a good cold hard look at the diet that I was feeding him, which was tons of dairy products and processed food. And when we got off the dairy products and the processed food, uh, overnight, Turn the situation around. Never, not only never had him on antibiotic steroid or bronchodilator again, but never had any of my other three children to this day on an antibiotic and fed him a whole foods diet. And this made all the difference. And a, a, a near tragedy where the little boy almost died many, 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 many times. Many nights I held him through the night and wondered if we would see morning or I held him in an emergency room or a hospital room. But Diet is foundational. It's not everything, but it's it's foundational. It's something that we can't we can't ignore. We have to start there. And so Cassie's doing great things in the world. And I I have a I have a fun question for you. I wonder if you can give us three actionable tips that most dietitians won't tell you. Sure, sure, definitely. I would say first one we've covered: stop counting calories. Um, stop counting calories. I think the second one is. Um, well, I mean, stop eating low fat. I think that that's probably the one that frustrates me the most because that's what the dietitian told my father after his heart surgery. And 
uh, he needed fat. You know, fat doesn't make you fat as long as it's the right type of fat, like avocados and coconut oil and nuts and seeds and butter and coconut milk and olives. Um, so forget everything you've heard about the benefits of low fat, anything. Um, it's not a sinful, off limits, bad for you food. Um, it can actually help your metabolism and help help you lose weight. And your brain is made up of over 70% fat. That's like a huge one. So I wanted to say that. But I think also like the whole restricting thing, like with, like with not counting calories, like, you know, don't skip meals. Um, I think that's a big one when people are trying to lose weight. It's like they try to go as long as they can without eating. And if they're not starving, they'll skip meals. But um, when you're doing that, you know, your, your, your body learns to live in starvation mode. And that can be where your metabolism slows down. And I know there's a lot of different viewpoints on intermittent fasting. And I'm not sure what you think about that, Robin. I don't know a lot about it. Um, because that's just not the approach that we take with our weight loss clients. But what we do is we really try to reset their metabolism by having them eat snacks throughout the day and you know eat meals and eat snacks throughout the day. And that helps to just keep their metabolism boosted. So when it slows down, it hangs on to extra energy and then turns it into fat because it thinks it's going to need to use those reserves as fuel at some point if you're skipping meals. And not only does it damage your metabolism, but it really is exhausting and sucks the life out of you. So, you know, I would recommend eat when you're hungry, eat when you're hungry, you know, don't deprive yourself, don't eat low fat. I think that, you know, this is really not about dieting or, or counting calories or restricting or starving or working out till you drop. Um, it's about breaking the rules that never worked to your advantage and discovering what does. And it's really freeing to break rules and get the results that you've been wanting all along by getting to eat foods that you love and not having to kill yourself on the treadmill for hours every week or every day. Um, so that's what that's why I think it's important to kind of come back to the basics and just look at like what what makes sense. Like, does it really make sense that if you take away all your body's fuel, that it's going to work better? To me, it's like when I looked at that, I was like, you know what? It actually doesn't really make sense. Maybe starving ourselves doesn't work when it comes to feeling awesome and having great energy and, and losing weight. So kind of just bringing it all back to the basics. I love it. Well, tell everyone where they can learn more about you and your work. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if anyone is interested in working with us in our Rule Breakers weight loss program, uh, these are the types of things that we teach. And I think what would be perfect uh, for your audience today, Robin, is if you're interested in more of these rules to break, we covered a few of them today. I put together a full list of 10 rules to break to lose weight. And you can get that PDF for free at 10rulestobreak.com, like the number 10, rulestobreak.com. And in that guide, I teach you more of these rules that we've been told about food and dieting and how they're flat out wrong. And uh, you'll get 10 of them to break in order to lose weight for good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I've learned a lot. Thanks, Robin. It was an honor to share my story with you. 